Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've downloaded the Buckeye LeafCast with your host, Andrew T. Evans. With special guest, Chris Stefanik. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Buckeye Leafcast recap edition of the show. Recap of yesterday's sound whooping. The Ohio State Buckeyes laid on the Bowling Green Falcons 77-10, to a recap of Ohio State's record-setting day. And along for the ride, it just wouldn't be prudent to this juncture. If I didn't have the man himself, the intergalactic Buckeye fan, joining me on the ride, of course, the one and only Mr. Chris Stefanik. <laughs> uh, the victory is so glorious. Chris, yeah, we, we, we did a preview of the show. We put it out on Friday. Saturday comes, and we talked on Friday. Maybe we were a little too conservative in our thoughts, <laughs> I said 35-13. You went with, I believe, 42-17 to as the final score. And that was a pretty common score. A lot of, of quote-unquote experts were saying, yeah, Ohio State, they're probably going to look, you know, good. Uh, they might have some woes at first, uh, which they did, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, but seriously, dude, were you expecting this kind of performance to open up the season? and just an absolute offensive onslaught and a record-setting performance that this Ohio State team just did yesterday. Was I expecting the starters to not have to punt and uh, the backups to only punt once and 11 touchdowns? (laughs) No, I wasn't expecting that. Um, You know, in retrospect, I'm beating myself up a little bit. I mean, if you remember in our last show, I said, you know, if Georgia Southern can score 58 on Bowling Green, why not Ohio State? You did. Why not? You did. You said it. You should. You should have stuck to your guns, man. Yeah. So I mean, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, oh, you know, I could put up a, you know, a sixty something point victory. But even then, I would have went if I, in my most positive, my most, you know, uh, let's let's, you know, put the scarlet and gray liners on. It still would have been like low sixties, right? I'd have just put an extra field goal on top of that fifty eight score or something like that. You know, seventy seven. I mean, we haven't clipped seventy for. Since 2013. Yeah. Um, and this was against a team that is Division One yeah. and won their conference last year. Yes. I mean, they had what? Like nine, ten? They, they beat Big Ten teams last year. Yes, they we, did. You know, they were, they were 2-0 versus Big Ten teams, and we put up 77 on them. Un, just unbelievable. 776 yards of total offense is now a new single-game OSU record. 30 kids, Chris, 30 kids in all made their debuts on the field yesterday. And and having said that, seriously, 30 kids making their OSU debuts of all the teams that Ohio State has fielded throughout the history of this program, would you have honestly thought that yesterday putting 30 brand new kids out onto the field replacing 16 starters from last year's team, that this would be the team to set an all-time total offensive yards record? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. It just speaks to the talent that Urban Meyer is collecting, you know, and I touched on that in the last episode with the recruiting classes. He's starting to stack one on top of the other, and they're, they're just getting better with each one. 2017 is, like, the best yet. And that 30 number is shockingly high, but... If you remember last year, the team was so stacked with returners, re- with returning talent, right? You know, that freshmen, they never got on the field. So I think only four true freshmen played last year. And so you had essentially pretty much an entire recruiting class that redshirted. So you had last year's class that redshirted, that are all getting the opportunity to play this weekend versus Bowling Green for the first time. 
And then you had the class of 2016, a number of true freshmen. And Meyer said that last year he felt like it was kind of a mistake to not play that many, um, you know, freshmen to redshirt that many kids. He doesn't like to do that. He, ideally, he actually will say, I don't like to redshirt anyone. I don't believe that that's ever going to be the case. He's, you know, there's no reason to like play a kid for just no reason at all. Yeah. You know, you might as well <laughs> just, w- just waste a year of eligibility if the, if he's not going to be on the field in any meaningful capacity. I mean, if he's not in the too, too deep, there's just no reason to, to burn a red shirt in my opinion, but and- he wants to play a lot more kids. And so he got a lot of them ready. He said, I put on the coaches to get these freshmen ready. I don't want to end up having a red shirt, all but four players of the class of 2016. And, you know, we saw that yesterday. A lot of red shirts came off and it was pretty. Very pretty. Nick Bosa, one of the guys who got a uh, a red shirt off, ended up with four tackles yesterday, including a 13-yard sack. What a way to start your, your, your career and living up to the hype of being, of course, Joey's uh, younger brother. Uh, he was a true freshman that played Malik Harrison, a kid right here from Central Ohio, Walnut Ridge High School. He played four tackles as well. Uh, just a couple of kids, and I mean, the list goes on and on. Jordan Fuller got into the game. Um, there was uh, Keandre Jones, uh, linebacker out of uh, Maryland, I believe. Right, yep. Yeah, five-star uh, uh, freshman, uh, true freshman linebacker. He had a couple of tackles. Um, j- Justin just, Hilliard finally getting in there yeah, a little bit. And Justin Hilliard, a redshirt freshman, but still, it was his first game uh, on the field as a Buckeye. Uh, he got in. Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, um, Robert Landers, Damon Arnett. And I mean, some of these those guys there that I just mentioned are all redshirt freshmen. Uh, Rashad Berry, another redshirt freshman. How about your boy Rod J. Burns? True freshman <laughs> out of Louisville Trinity High School. All he does is get an interception and returns at 69 yards for a score. Well, I tell you what, I mean, they basically did not leave anything uh, left to be desired. I mean, everything was fantastic. Well, where do you go from here? I mean, seriously, where can this team go from here? Yeah, well, um, just keep keep rolling, you know. I mean, I guess the shutout's next. I mean, (laughs) we were talking about how great the offense was and the record-setting day and all that. The defense didn't give up a touchdown. No. You know, uh, they gave up three points and this was, you know, the offense had a record setting day, but you know, this is a team that gave up 58 to Georgia Southern. You know, this is a team that gave up over 40 to like at least four or five teams last year. Yes. So they, their defense was Swiss cheese. You know, it, it's pretty bad. We knew that coming in, but their offense, meanwhile, was putting up over 40 versus quite a few teams and was one of the best offenses in the country, statistically anyway. Statistically, sure. And boy, the Ohio State defense just shut them down. I mean, I, you know, I said, in the show we did leading into the game that, you know, Ohio state wasn't going to shut them down. They they were going to get a few touchdowns. I was wrong. They did not get any touchdowns, even with the second string in there playing for like practically a, a half, at least a, a quarter and a, a, a quarter, quarter and a half. half of a quarter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what can you say? I mean, the defense looked really good. You, you talked about Nick Bosa in there. I'm like, man, I'm watching him play and I'm thinking, is it just me, or is he the best-looking defensive lineman of all of them? I mean, I know. I mean, he, he's going at second string, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But the way he was just dismantling the guy in front of him, it really just—it was like a carbon copy of what his older brother did when he was here. Holy cow, he looks good. They're bringing him along slowly because of you know he's recovering from that knee injury. Yes. But I mean, he still played almost like a half, so. I don't know how much they're going to limit him. You know, it looks like he's going to be just climbing up that depth chart all along, or at least maybe he won't start, but he's going to be getting starter minutes, I bet. If he's going to play like that, I think he's going to be in the rotation getting every bit as much time as the guys who are the quote-unquote official starters. So, uh, you know, I'm dancing a jig over here. I mean, the only thing to be disappointed about was you hate to see Tracy Sprinkle finally get mm. to be a starter mm. and his first game starting mm. is out for the year. Mm. And just on a weird play, you know, it's like yeah. he, he just he was just running around the offensive lineman. Yeah. Nobody fell on him yep. and he just all of a sudden just falls to the ground. You know, it's one of those things where it makes you wonder if like these kids are 
really too big for the human body. The human body wasn't designed to be, you know, 290, 300 pounds and moving like a, mm-hmm. like a Mack truck yeah. kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's uh, too bad to, uh, to hear. Um, Meyer said after the game that uh, he was told it was a patella tendon injury. Uh, it's going to require surgery, and, and that's it for the uh, yeah the rest of the season. I mean, Tracy Sprinkle barely got to play uh, a half of football, and uh, his season is now over. Especially uh, for a kid who's you know uh, uh, third year in the program uh, or a fourth year, I believe uh, redshirt uh, redshirt junior. And um, it's really a great story. I oh. mean, he. He's an Ohio kid, yep. and my understanding is he was kicked off the team. He, he was. He, he was kicked off the team, and he had a come-to-Jesus moment and pulled his life together and um, you know, is now a good citizen and was primed to have an excellent year. You know, If he came in there and performed well, he would be eligible to leave early and make himself millions of dollars at the end of the year. I mean, Ohio State is now at the point where if you're a starter at Ohio State, you're going to get a shot at the NFL. So... He had a shot at millions waiting for sure. him. Depending on how he performed, would determine whether he'd be a draft pick or not. But he was at a minimum going to get a camp invite somewhere if he'd have stayed healthy. So you hope he can come back to that and be at least close to 100% next year, just uh, for the kid alone. Let let alone the sake of Ohio State and what he would mean to Ohio State. I just for him, I I hope to see that he has that come together for him. You know, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to him at OSU's media day uh, one-on-one. I mean, I walked up to – he was sitting there at his table. There's nobody around uh, and and had the opportunity to sit there and talk to him for about four or five minutes and uh, really uh, – it is a great story. You're absolutely right, and uh, couldn't couldn't sit here and be more impressed with the way that that Tracy Sprinkle when he came in, he did. He had some off the field problems, uh, was booted off of the team, some some serious problems, from what I understand. Um, and I can't recall exactly what they were off the top of my head at this moment. But yeah, he he uh, didn't start out very well at Ohio State, and and he did. He pulled it together, uh, worked his tail off, and finally earned a starting spot on the uh, defensive line. And then boom, um, you know, got uh, got hurt, and now he's done for the year. So it is. It's sad that uh, unfortunately, let's hope this isn't career ending. Um, because because you yeah. hate to see that, especially like you just said, out of a kid who really pulled things together, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, this happened to him. It's very unfortunate. But um, no update on Dante Booker. He went out early too, and uh, Meyer was asked after the game about his status, and well, he was asked about both Sprinkle and Booker in the same question, and all he answered was Tracy Sprinkle. Maybe he forgot about Dante or didn't want to say, but uh, no update on Booker, though, at least not that I've heard at this point, um, but Joe Berger, uh, great story about him, fifth-year senior walk-on. He was a preferred walk-on, uh, got uh, uh, named as a captain to start this season, and uh um, Joe Berger came in and, and had to uh, fill in for Dante Booker for pretty much almost the entire game because Booker was out before Tracy Sprinkle. And then all of a sudden, Sprinkle gets hurt. So yesterday, the defense uh, lost two starters, two starters for pretty much the entire game and still was able to play at the level uh, that they played at. Um you, you want to talk about stats for the defense? Yeah, I mean, they allowed 244 total yards, 69 on the ground, 175 through the air, three interceptions, one we just mentioned by true freshman Rod J. Burns near the end of the game, which he returns for a touchdown, and then your boy out of Newcastle, Pennsylvania, the redshirt sophomore Malik Hooker, uh, who comes in and uh, has two interceptions. And one of them, dude, can you, I mean, did you watch the replay on that first one he had? He oh, that was beautiful. raced from the other side of the field, goes over, bats the ball back to himself, and as he's falling down, pulls it in with one hand. Just an unbelievable <laughs> interception. And then that second mm. one, I was kind of fiddling on my uh, my computer, putting out some post on Twitter, and all of a sudden, the, the crowd starts going nuts. I look up. And he's picked off another one, and he races that one back 44 yards. Granted, not for a touchdown, but uh, nonetheless. So, uh, yeah, just an unbelievable effort by the defense. Like you said, they didn't allow uh, a touchdown. Um, And uh, getting to our point, though, about um, 
the level of talent on this this team. And I did ask Meyer after the game, and Chris, I want to get your opinion on what he had to say. I asked him, uh, you know, what does it say to the level of talent that that he has on this team, considering you know they just set a single game record of 776 yards, and the fact that they did it with at least 30 guys who were making their first appearance uh, on the field. And his response was, I think too. If you go back, and sometimes I hate when I see that score where that's not what our intent was. We do like to score a lot of points, but we wanted, I think in the middle of the third quarter, took the offensive line out and everybody out, and then there's guys in there. What's encouraging to me is our backup offensive line concerns the heck out of me. And the first punt of the game is when they're in there. And that seemed like that after... It, and that seemed like after that you chew on them a little bit and they got going. And I just like to see guys compete for spots on the team. If you do that, you can survive here. If not, it's time to move on. I thought he kind of danced around it a little bit. I wasn't exactly sure what he was trying to to get across there. What's your take on it? You stumped the, the master. I mean, you were so brilliant in your questioning that he was like, oh, my God, this Mr. Evans, what, what the fuck do I say now? Um, quick, uh, start babbling about shit. I, right? I, I don't know. I don't know what the heck he was trying to say. Yeah. Um, what do you take away from it? Well, it's funny. Before the game, there was people on the Bowling Green side who were hoping that Urban Meyer, since they had given him his first job, that he would take his foot off the gas in the second half. <laughs> and uh, that didn't quite happen, apparently. Well, and so. he tried to. I mean, he did. He pulled well, the, you know, the guys midway hold through on, the hold quarter. I've seen what taking the foot off the gas is for 10 years at Ohio State, and it's Jim Trussell. When Jim Trussell had somebody down, especially an Ohio team, like a, a, a Mac team, he would literally run it up the middle all three downs and punt. So he was not mixing in passes and all that. And I actually found this to be a fault of Jim Trestle. I said, you know, those backups, they play, they practice just as hard as the starters. You know, they're putting all this time in and then you go out there and you don't give them a chance to succeed. The defense knows it's coming and it would just be run, 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 punt every time on the second string. I'm like, that's not fair to them. And you know, Hey, how about getting them ready in case, Somebody goes down and they need to slide into the starting role, you know, like to, to have your backup quarterback have actually thrown a ball before, yeah. you know, in a game. Yeah. So I was just fine with Urban Meyer running the offense for Joe Burrow out there. And it's not on Ohio State to stop Ohio State. It's on Bowling Green to do that. And, you know, I was completely fine with it. I, I did just have to laugh a little bit. And uh, the the hopes of the Bowling Green that he would go easy on them, <laughs> and I had to laugh because uh, that was because I think I've mentioned last se- season I'm actually a Toledo Rocket alumni, so anytime I see the Falcons embarrassed a little bit, it warms my heart. Yeah, so you got that old Battle of I seventy five rivalry blood still flowing through your veins. Yes, sir. Well, and that's the thing is that I, I was not. Um. It, I, I don't want to say mad or angry with Urban Meyer um, for playing the way he did because I agree with you. If you're going to put the backups in, let them run the offense because if somebody else goes down, these guys have to be ready. And to put backups in just to run the ball up the middle three three downs and out, yeah, that's doing your backups a disservice. They want to get out there and play. And especially if you're going to pull your starters midway through the third quarter, you better continue to run the offense because if you don't, then you could possibly give the other team an opportunity to get back in the game. Now, at that point, I think it was, what, 56 to 10 or something. So I highly doubt Bowling Green was going to make any sort of comeback. But still, you never know. I mean, midway through the third quarter, that's still a lot of football left to play. So I was uh, very happy to see the backups get in there early. You pull your starters, you get the backups very valuable time on the field. And I mean, they were still going against Bowling Green's first team defense and vice versa. The uh, second team OSU defense was going against Bowling Green's first 
team offense for the you know for for pretty much the remainder of the game until about you know maybe several minutes left in the in the fourth quarter. So um, I, I just I don't know when when he answered that I'm kind of like you know hoping he says hey you know that just shows that you know we're 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 very you know we are a talented team um, but you know we we. Um, I don't know, something just kind of a little bit more than his kind of dancing back and forth. I mean, I get that. You're not setting out to score 77 points and break a single-game school record against, you know, uh, a, a, a team that you formerly coached for. It's a team within your state that you have a little bit of love for. It's kind of like your little brother, you know? Kind of like, ah, oh, gee whiz, like I hate beating the crap out of my little brother, but he needs to grow up a little bit, so I'm just going to go ahead and keep spanking him. And that's basically what Ohio State did. <clears throat> but uh, overall, yeah, very impressive, uh, very impressive victory, Chris. So uh, was there anything else that you you took out of the game um, that that jumped out to you, stood out to you and impressed you? Oh, my God. Uh, many things. Well, the offensive line collectively was fantastic. They were opening huge holes for the running game. I'm talking 359 yards on six and a half yards of carry. I mean, that's including first and second string offensive line for the whole game. So uh, they're deep even. And I mean, they were just fantastic. I mean, 55 carries, six and a half yards of carry, enough said. And then on the passing side, I mean, on some of those plays, JT had enough time that he could have pulled his phone out, checked his Twitter feed, and still had time to get the pass off. I mean, it was crazy how well they were protecting him. You know, and you got two new starters at tackle and DeMarco Jones and Isaiah Prince. I mean, Bowling Green wasn't doing jack to get to the quarterback. Again, Bowling Green's defense, not so stout, but very promising sign, especially this early in the year. You've got offensive linemen that have not played together before, three brand new offensive linemen, and then the two Returning guys are playing at different spots. Pat Offline moving from guard to center, and Billy Price flipping from the one side of the line to the other. So very, very promising on the offensive line. A lot of individual performances were great, of course. So I was loving to see Curtis Samuel in that featured role. Oh, man. That's what the coaches were saying they wanted from Curtis Samuel last year. He was going to be the featured back, right? They, they said the previous year he was only getting like two or three touches a game, 2014, and that wasn't enough. He was too talented of a kid for that to happen. I mean, if you recall, in 2014, he was in a battle with Ezekiel Elliott for the starting running back spot, and Elliott just beat him out. You know, when Elliott was a sophomore and uh, Curtis Samuel was a freshman, but yeah. that went well into camp. Yeah. So the kid has talent. And then, you know, last year, Meyer said, well, we're going to feature him this year. And didn't really happen. Yeah, it didn't didn't really happen. And, you know, so I when they were saying it again for this year, but I just kind of discounted it. I'm like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. And boy, did they feature him. I mean, yeah, we knew that he was listed as a co-starter with Mike Weber at running back. You know, they had the or on the depth chart. Yeah. So I knew he'd get some carries there. But I was I just figured he'd just be another one of the guys as far as the receivers going. And, you know, he He'd get two or three catches or whatever, but JT was targeting him back when he dropped back like all the time. That was clear that Curtis Samuel, he was looking for him. That's his number one option. Now he spread the ball around a lot. He threw it to a whole lot of different guys. And there was, yeah, and there were several other guys that he threw it to them and they just didn't make the catch for whatever reason. So, I mean, he was spreading that ball around a lot, but Curtis Samuel was his number one option. So that was really nice to see. And then also at that H back position, his backup. Dontre Wilson, he, coming into Ohio State, was one of the most highly touted kids coming in, and he was supposed to be transformational. Everybody was like, you know, Dontre Wilson is going to be the Percy Harvin that Urban Meyer needs. And it just never quite surfaced. You know, he had his freshman year. He was okay. He contributed. He played a lot. But he was not really that lightning in a bottle that you wanted to see from that H-back position. And... And that's okay. It was a true freshman, you know. I mean, sure, tough sure. to adjust. I, I didn't think that was a terrible first year. No, but not at but all. But he, um, he, he kind of went backwards after that, and and this was due to injuries, right? So he he was really banged up his sophomore and junior years, and and didn't do much. So this year, senior year, last chance to make a statement, and he he's finally doing it. He looked really good out there. He was running the ball. He's like the basically the third running back on the team. 
uh, also in that H-back role and was a, a, a big time receiver thread out there. He got what, three or three or so catches, had a couple, one or two touchdowns, something like that. Um, got the stats right here when you're ready, sir. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, as he's the number one kick returner, number one punt returner, not that he was anything great in, in any of those yeah. roles, but He's, well, he didn't nice really. See. He didn't. He only had one kickoff return, so not like right, he right. had a whole lot of opportunities to at least run back kickoffs. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it, the the thing is, it's nice to see a senior finally getting a shot. So absolutely, I, I was I was really pleased with what I saw from him. Curtis Samuel, nine catches, hundred and seventy-seven yards, and two touchdowns. That was just through the air. He also finished Ooh. second on the team. That, of course, led the team in receiving. Second on the team in rushing, 13 carries, 84 yards, and another score on the ground. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, he's got a, uh, I mean, hell, that's almost a 300 total yard day uh, and three total touchdowns uh, for, for Curtis Samuel. So without a doubt, uh, he is going to be the featured playmaker when it comes to both aspects. Uh, the passing game, they're going to expect him to catch, you know, probably be the leading receiver. I mean, I'm sure every, not every game is he going to be able to uh, lead the team. Uh, but certainly he was definitely featured in that role yesterday and then of course yeah just running the football he was uh definitely given a uh a, 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 a you know a great amount of carries and uh he made it work uh <laughs> work in his favor that's for sure uh, and then you bring up Dontre uh he ended up carrying the ball five times for 36 yards uh he had three catches for 37 yards two of them were for scores, uh, and he ended up having uh, three total punt slash kickoff returns uh, for a total of 28 yards. So, yeah, not lightning in a bottle in that regard, but um, Dontre Wilson, definitely great to see him get out there. It, it seemed to me like he was, you know, looking true to form, um, did have a great freshman year as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah, I mean, was he one of the – featured guys on that 2013 team no because they had Braxton Miller and uh you know Carlos Hyde a couple of guys there in the NFL now uh running the offense but uh still uh you know that that freshman year he actually put up like 900 some yards of total offense had three touchdowns and actually in his senior year before he went down with that injury after the Michigan State game he had over a thousand total yards and three more scores so really he was on his way uh, in 2014, um, just unfortunately got hurt. And sometimes, you know, that that does happen. Um, but it was definitely good, yeah, to see him get out there. And I think that game kind of does I, – I, it's an indication that is Dontre going to be the main driving force of the offense? No. It's going to be Curtis Samuel, obviously JT Barrett. Um, and then uh, a kid who got the start, who took over – Chris, I found it funny. Briante Dunn's number of 25, when he walked out on the field with number 25, because he's been wearing number 20, uh, and I saw him, I saw number 25 out in the backfield, and I'm like, who the hell's number 25? I'm like, Briante Dunn, is he back on the team? What the hell's going on? And I look at the, uh, the roster, and, and it's Mike Weber. So uh, that kid... Unbelievable performance from him. 19 carries, 136 yards, a 7.2-yard average in his first game uh, as a Buckeye. It's, I mean, what do you have to say about Mike Weber? Because obviously that was an, a, a fantastic way to start. Yeah, yeah. He he looks good. You know, I mean, when... I mean, was this Carlos, not what we were expecting? Let's face it. Seriously, this is what we were expecting Mike Weber to do. Well, seven, you know, 136 yards, seven yards to carry. I mean, that's pretty stout. I mean, we are going against, again, a Swiss cheese defense. But it's like a player's first start, you know. Um, I guess when you look back at last year, Mike Weber had passed up Briante Dunn and Warren Ball and all of those guys who had a lot more experience than him. And as a true freshman was going to be the number two back behind Elliot. And I remember there was a, a scrimmage, an inter-squad scrimmage, where he had like 250-some yards or something. So he was looking really good 
last summer, last heading into fall camp, and then he had that injury that led them to redshirt him. So there was reason to believe this kid could come in here and and do this. So uh, Urban just keeps getting it done. You know, I mean, when Hyde left, we're like, well, you know, surely Elliot will be good, but there's going to be a drop off after Hyde. I mean, Hyde was amazing, right? And you're like, (laughs) nope. (laughs) <laughs> no drop off there. Next man yeah, up. Well, Elliot, Elliot's gone. Surely there'll be a drop off when he leaves. I don't know. Did, did Ezekiel Elliott in his first game starting put up 136 and on 7.2 a carry? Uh, I, I don't know. They, off the top of my head, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I mean he he started really. It was that that uh, it was his sophomore year. You know, it was his first year. He was the backup to Hyde, right? But his sophomore year. He um it was it was towards the end of the year that 2014 when he started rolling it was you know when he put up 700 yards or something in like three games to <laughs> versus Wisconsin <laughs> Alabama and Oregon right it really caught everybody's attention you right. know yeah so I, I don't know I mean maybe maybe they don't miss a beat here with Elliot gone either I mean as crazy as that seems it's just the Urban Meyer train just keeps on going down the tracks now granted uh, Ezekiel Elliott um was a true sophomore, which is basically the same year that Mike Weber would be had he not been redshirted. And Ezekiel Elliott did have some time uh, playing as a true freshman. Uh, in fact, I think what game was that? In 2013, he put up like, didn't he put up like over 100 yards or something crazy against Florida A&M that season? It was something something goofy. Like he, he came in mop-up duty and had like two like a touchdown, two touchdowns, ran for like almost 100 if he didn't hit the 100 mark. Uh, but in his first official start in the 2014 season uh, against Navy, if you remember correctly, over there in Baltimore, uh, official stats from Elliott, 12 carries, 53 yards, one touchdown. So there you go, if you want to compare apples to oranges. Um but uh, yeah, it's, I was I was highly impressed, especially on the first carry of the game. He runs it for 18 yards, and he's forearming defenders off of him near the end of the run. Just great to see. And there were so many runs where man, he just uh, he was a shoestring away from just breaking it. And and 136 yards could have been damn near 200 yards and and a couple of scores had he not gotten tripped up there at the very end. Um, but you know what, Chris, we haven't talked about Mr. JT Barrett, the whole hmm. cog in the offensive <laughs> wheel. We haven't even talked about the man behind uh, the center taking the snaps, record-setting uh, and record-tying day for the fourth-year junior out of Wichita Falls, Texas. Overall, six touchdowns uh, passing, which tied his very own record that he previously set along with Kenny Guyton. Um, and then he uh, set the uh, single game Ohio State record for touchdowns responsible for because he also tacked on a rushing touchdown. So overall, Barrett, 21 out of 31, 349 yards passing for six touchdowns, also had uh, six carries for 30, uh, 30 yards and a nine yard touchdown run seven touchdowns overall and to think that on this on the first offensive play of the game Chris I excuse me the first offensive possession of the game Barrett has 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 a, a nice looking pass I believe he hit Noah Brown for his first completion they're running the ball they're doing all right they get to midfield and then all of a sudden uh, in fact they were past midfield he throws a 63-yard touchdown pass to Brandon Harris. Now, the only problem with that, Chris, is that Brandon Harris plays for Bowling Green. So you get where I'm going with this. He threw a 63-yard pick six. So to start the game when he comes out, uh, first offensive uh, series, second pass of the game, he throws a 63-yard pick six. What's going through your mind at that point? Well, I was thinking, here is how we have a tight game with Bowling Green. You know, I was thinking about it going into it in the past. There had been some squeakers. I mean, just last year, some squeakers versus back teams <laughs> that shouldn't happen no. with the talent disparity, with the coaching disparity. You know, Ohio State has the best 
you know, if, if I would say he's right in that same echelon with Nick Saban, you know, him, it's, it's Nick Saban, Urban Meyer and the rest of the world. So they've got the best coach, you know, extremely at the advantage in the talent level overall between the two teams. How do they have a close game? And I'm like, well, this is how you have a close game turnovers, turnovers that lead to touchdowns directly. But, you know, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't like throwing it in. I wasn't really worried that the game was over at that point or no, anything, but no, but, but still, you know, JT Barrett, you know, he comes out and I mean, he throws a pick six. It's so weird because I remember talking to someone right before the game and not literally like minutes before the game, but like the day before. And it wasn't you. It was somebody else. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't doubt it if Bowling Green somehow comes out and and shocks Ohio State by scoring like the first touchdown of the game and Ohio State's back on their heels. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see them r- ramp it up a notch or two or ten in this instance and uh, come out and, and, and get the job done, which they did. But when that happened, I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go. I wasn't freaking out. I, much like you, I wasn't freaking out, but it just – it did. It went through my head like, see, why did I think that something like this was going to happen? This is so weird. Um, but from there, man, I mean obviously he hiked up his uh, his, his bootstraps and, and went to work and uh, put together one of the, uh, the finest performances in Ohio State history that a quarterback could have and – you know, the crazy thing is, dude, he did it in two and a half quarters. I mean, he was done by the middle of the third quarter and still put up all of those numbers. So think about what he could have done had he been in to, for at least the rest of the third quarter and gotten pulled in the fourth. Just uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, he would have at least did what Joe Burrow did, I would think. So yeah, Joe Burrow, six for eight, 68 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. So he had to push that up to seven touchdowns and 417 yards. I think that's reasonable to expect. Oh, absolutely. It's impressive. There's no, no other way you can slice it. I think it's time to start the JT for Heisman campaign. I don't see any reason why he's not right up there at the top for being a favorite for it. Now, if week one, he's putting up this kind of yardage, eight touchdowns and you know, crazy yards. Ohio State, if they're going to be in the mix to be in the playoffs and have a national title, which it's looking like, you know, knock on wood, that's that's definitely in the mix. He's going to be right up there. Obviously, if he keeps putting up performances like this week after week, I mean, he's going to get it. But if he puts up performances, just what we think he can do, he's going to be in the mix. Very, very, very great way to start off the season. It was an impressive victory. Honestly, when's the last time after a game you could sit back and say there was really nothing to complain about this game? I remember Wisconsin was like that, 2014. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm like, okay, um, when was the last one? I I think it might be that. I mean, I don't know that we had this convincing of a win since then. Um, I'm sure. Well, you know, well, how about last year beating uh, Michigan in their house, who was 10th rated at the time, 42 to 13. Alex. Well, but yeah, I guess considering the quality opponent, sure, you know, right. and, and the, the Notre Dame win as well a, was a, was very impressive yeah, yeah. when you consider the quality of opponent. But I mean, in those games, there was like little things you could have nitpicked on. There was really nothing you could nitpick on in this game. Uh, There's nothing aside from honestly Barrett throwing a pick six. Other than that, yeah, I mean, it was it was total domination on uh, on both sides of the football. So. Uh, impressive win. What do we expect for Tulsa? Do we even know anything about Tulsa? I have no idea what Tulsa is all about. Seriously. I don't know any stats on them. It's terrible. Uh, all I know is that their nickname is the Golden Hurricane, and they're out there in the middle of Oklahoma. But otherwise, uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about Tulsa. Can they Can they do the same thing uh, coming up this Saturday when they square off against the Golden Hurricane? Maybe not to that extent, but can we expect at least uh, a pretty solid offensive and defensive performance? Well, like you, I've done no research on the <laughs> mighty Golden Hurricanes. I did Damn. see that they beat they beat San Jose State this weekend, forty five to ten. So okay, well, that you know no that's more than pretty, me then at that point. I didn't even yeah they the, they they roughed up a Division One opponent. I mean, not that San Jose State is a giant or anything, but but you know they. 
it would have been they could have lost that game and they didn't so they won it in convincing fashion yeah uh i do have some stats in front of me they rolled up 512 total yards and only gave up 287 okay so um you know wait i'm sorry who'd they play again san jose state ah the the mighty spartans from the whack huh yeah yeah so but uh, you know can ohio state do the same thing um, 77 points. I'm guessing not. No. no, I think the defense might be able to come out and hold them out of the end zone again, though. I mean, if they can hold Bowling Green out of the end zone, which is a stout, high flying offense, I don't see why they can't do it against San Jose State. So I think, you know, we could see another the defense gives up three points kind of game. And at least, you know, in the 40s, I mean, that should be the benchmark for this offense going forward until they're playing like the Michigan States and Michigans of the world, the, you know, the elite big 10 teams that they should get 40 against almost every team on their schedule. I mean, maybe when they go to Wisconsin and then play Michigan state and Michigan, they should be getting outside of those games. I, I will not predict something less than 40 for them for the rest of their games. And yeah, I mean, if- Oh, 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 I forgot Oklahoma. I'm already dismissed after Tom Herman, my boy, you know, Tommy oh. Mensa dismantled them. I've almost, I've already written Oklahoma off. Shame oh. on me. Dude, Tommy Herms, I mean, are you serious? What? Uh, yeah. It, it, just to get off of Ohio State and just talk college football in general yesterday, two top five teams go down. Something that hadn't happened in the opening Ooh. week of, of college football since like, 1972 is what I heard. So the fact that Houston upsets Oklahoma, which you know what, quite honestly, is that really all that much of an upset? I mean, I know that, yes, Oklahoma was third rated in the country. Yes, I know Houston was, what, 15th or something like that. Uh, And it was being played in Houston. It was an energy stadium. Um, But... I'm not so sure I can seriously call that an upset after what Tom Herman did with Houston last year, the way he dismantled Florida State in the bowl game. And then, I I mean, we saw what he was obviously able to do with the offense at Ohio State and propel them to win a national championship. This is absolutely no shock to me whatsoever. Compounded on top of the fact that, dude, I'm just – Bob Stoops is one of the worst big game players coaches out there i mean seriously i mean the only other one that i could think of that is year in year out perennially ranked high and falters in the big game was jim trussell jim trussell was not the greatest big game coach now there were there were some some big games that he won obviously a national what was that record against michigan obviously a national championship yes and there were some Michigan wins. Not, ag- some. Against he was just 9-1. Nine nine, I well, mean, he did lose that one. I mean, come on, dude. He, he didn't go perfect in 10 years. What the hell? What's wrong with you, well, Jimmy? Let's Suck <laughs> big games. <laughs> let's also... Go 10-0, and 0, let's, let's, for Christ's sake. Well, <laughs> let's also remember, though, that Jim Trestle did beat up on some pretty crappy Michigan teams. Now, do I want to... Am I trying to take that away from him? No, because that's what he was brought in to do. I get that. Beat Michigan, win the bowl game. Yes, he won a national championship. Yes, he had a Heisman Trophy winner. But think about some of the other big games that Jim Trussell coached in and just choked. You know, two straight years against USC. The 06 national championship game against Florida. The very next year against LSU, which I give them more credit losing to LSU that season than I do Florida the, the national championship before because I, I, I think they backed their way into that national championship and quite honestly weren't real deserving of, of being one of the top teams in the country. Um, at any rate, um, it's still, no, don't get Hold me wrong. On. I've got to defend Jim Trussell's honor please, before we move please on. Do. Please do. All right. So big games, there's two easy ways to define what big games are. One is against your rival. Two is bowl games. So versus his rival, he was amazing, 9-1. and one. Obviously, case closed. Bowl games, he had a winning record. I would say in bowl games, he did. He was ver- versus, you know, in, in versus your rival, typically, you expect to go about 500 over the long term. In bowl games, over the long term, you expect to go 500 because it's typically fairly evenly matched teams. 
you know, you've got the Rose Bowl, the number one team in the Big Ten versus the number one team in the Pac-10. You, you think in long term it should be about 50%. And, and, you know, to get 50% is about what you would expect to see. If you get over 50%, you're feeling pretty good. If you're below 50%, you're like, ah, you know what? He kind of didn't come through in big games. Jim Trussell was over 50% in bowl games in his career at Ohio State. So over 50%, he cleared that hurdle. He beat the expectation. You know, the expect- expectation long term is you go 50%. He was above it, and he destroyed Michigan and all their fans' little hearts, <laughs> tearing them into tiny pieces and then stomping on those pieces. Uh, now, so, now, and, and you're right. You're right. I'm not trying to diminish what Jim Trussell did against Michigan or his bowl game record because, yes, 6-4 and four overall – Five and three in BCS games. So, and and you can't knock what Jim Trestle did. I guess I just sit here and I do think about those two straight games against USC. Uh, I do think about two straight national championships in which they got embarrassed, quite frankly. Um, but the fact that he did beat a Miami team uh, for his. Uh, first national, well, first and only national championship at Ohio State, a Miami team that was coming off of what, like a 34-game win streak and had won the national championship the year before and was hands down supposed to be uh, the national champion, you know, uh, repeating uh, national champion. I, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm i sorry. I, I did knock him a little bit. Maybe that was unfair of me to do, but I don't know. For some reason, um I don't know. That was just one of the thoughts that came to mind. But granted, dude, Bob Stoops, come on now. We, I mean, you, aside from his national championship in which he knocked off a, a Florida State team uh, that was supposed to win it all in, in 2000, I mean, Bob Stoops, man, he just he gets in the big game and just <laughs> he's just gargling, man. He's just choking on that one. Yeah, I hear you. And Tommy Herms, boy, you know, the mixed emotions about this game. On one hand, it doesn't help Ohio State that Oklahoma lost. No, you know, whether doesn't. Ohio State beats Oklahoma or whether they lose to Oklahoma, either way, the game looks better. Their strength of schedule is better if Oklahoma beats Houston. You know, it's like the victory means more if Ohio State takes out the number three or number two, whatever they are at the time. You know, Oklahoma Sooners in their house. The the defeat looks worse if it's to the uh, you know lower ranked, the team that lost to Houston, Bob Stutes led Sooners, as opposed to if it's versus the number two or number three team in the country undefeated, you know, in their house. So I did want to see the Sooners pull that out. I wanted to see them win on like a last second field goal kind of thing. Because on the other side, I love my boy Tommy Herms. I will always be thankful for him for what he got done at Ohio State, you know, make, taking a third string quarterback and winning the national title. And I'm always thinking, you know, what if Urban Meyer strokes out? <laughs> it's been known to happen, you know, it has been known to freaking happen. So I'm like, what if Urban Meyer streaks out, freak, you know, he strokes out on us again? Who's going to be the next guy in line? Who's going to be it? You know, and I'm looking around, I'm like, um, you know, potential candidates. D'Antonio would be a pretty good one, but yeah. it would definitely be a drop off from Urban to D'Antonio. I don't um, you know, Trussell coming out of retirement would mm. would be a drop off. I mean, it wouldn't be there'd be worse things that you could do, but it'd be a drop off. You know, I'm look, looking around. I tell you what, if Urban Meyer strokes out tomorrow, at a minimum, Tommy Herms is getting an interview. Got, he is getting a freaking interview, yeah, you if not me. the job. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, because he could come right in if he came in tomorrow and took over for Urban Meyer. I don't think they'd miss a beat on the field. You know, because he would—he's familiar with the systems. He's familiar with the players and the coaches. I think he would just keep Urban Meyer's system in place and keep the train rolling. Can he close as good as Urban does with the national recruits? Um, that remains to be seen. I mean, I would say probably not, since Urban's like the best, you <laughs> like know, the like, best ever, right? The best ever. So he's probably not going to be the best ever. But well, but if boy, the best you know, it—I it, if- I feel a little better. You know, when I go to sleep at night, knowing that if Urban Meyer gets hit by a truck, Tommy Herms would leave Houston in a second for the Ohio State job. You would think that Tom Herman would definitely jump at the chance for um, the Ohio State type job. And, and I'm not sure if he would be making Urban Meyer type money, but let me tell you what, he'd probably be making more than what he'd be making at Houston. And 
the opportunity to obviously be the head coach uh, of of a major college program would would definitely be an opportunity. I don't think he'd want to pass up. Um, but he certainly put a whole new wrinkle in that game down in Norman in two weeks. I mean, he definitely threw a wrench in the whole works, man, because this is going to be one pissed-off Oklahoma team. And granted, I just got done saying that I'm not surprised that Houston pulled off the upset because Bob Stoops is not a very good big uh, game manager. But let's face it, dude, this is a home game, night game for Oklahoma. They just lost uh, possibly the potential to make the, the, the college football playoff. Now, I understand it's early, and if I'm not mistaken, Big 12 does have a conference championship this year, do they not? Or am I wrong in that? Uh, uh, I didn't think they did, but but if Ohio State can lose to six and six, Virginia Tech and still make the playoffs, I would think Oklahoma could as well. So well, yeah, and and don't get me wrong, this doesn't completely flatten them out. But if if Oklahoma loses, um, uh, if they lose to Ohio State, um, they're done. They're done. Yeah, they're done. They're done. So, um. It, this is this is going to be this is going to be a very interesting game in two weeks, man. To see how uh, Oklahoma responds. So, uh, well, here's a question for you. Yeah, Houston runs essentially the exact same offense that Ohio State runs. Yeah. So, who does it benefit more? Does it benefit Oklahoma more that they've got to practice already and play a game against this style of offense? So they'll be more ready to play Ohio State, or does it benefit? Urban Meyer and company more having to see how Oklahoma is going to handle an offense like they run and what kind of wrinkles Oklahoma will pull out against this style of an offense. Who does it benefit more? Well, that's that. That's that's a great question. Um, I would think that it almost behooves Oklahoma more because of the fact that they have seen that style of offense. So they are going to be a little more prepared, a little more ready. Um, but here's the thing. Ohio State's talent level has got to be a little bit better than Houston's. And I'm not trying to knock the kids down at, at Houston because they, obviously they've got some talent there that uh, Tommy Herms has been able to tap into and get the most out of. But still... Ohio State's talent level has got to be at least a step above Houston's. And if Houston's able to lay that kind of, of, of whooping down on Oklahoma, then I don't see why Ohio State couldn't do the same. And I truly felt that Ohio State, and I know predicting a little bit early, you and I have already talked about it, though. I really felt that Ohio State was actually going to go down and beat Oklahoma simply because... Bob Stoops is such a poor, big-time game manager. Now that this has happened, I think it changes the whole complexity of the game. I really do. I could be wrong, and Oklahoma could be flattened and defeated, and we'll see what they look like next week um, when they play. Um, who the hell do they play next week? Um, hold on. I'm looking it up now. Let's see. Uh, Louisiana Monroe. So if if they look like garbage at home against the Louisiana Monroe, then I think Ohio State is without a doubt going to walk down there and could possibly put a 14-point spanking on them. Uh, if, if Oklahoma comes out and looks great, it looks like they, they've gathered themselves and they crush Louisiana Monroe 60-2, to, to two, which they should, um, then it's going to be an interesting game. But ultimately, I, I think this loss uh, benefits Oklahoma more than it does Ohio State. Yeah, I feel the same way. And the main reason is they not just got to see it on film – you know, they had a, a chance to study on film how Ohio State's offense looks via what Tommy Mensa <laughs> has going on in Houston. They got to practice for it for a whole week. <laughs> Actually, not just a whole week. It's the first game of the season. So they've yeah. for weeks, they, probably yeah. two or three weeks, Easy. they've been practicing for it sure. and got to play against it. So Ohio State is not practicing for multiple weeks versus what 
you know, Oklahoma's offense, Oklahoma's defense is going to be, um, they're not, you know, getting a chance to play against it or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, they'll get to see the scheme. It helps a little, but I think it definitely helps Oklahoma more than it helps Ohio State. So, absolutely. You know, I've been thinking that all year long, well, all summer long, I guess, that we're looking at an 11 or 12 win regular season for Ohio State. And I'm definitely still feeling that way, if not more. I have yet to say like what the game would be that they would lose um, if they were to drop one. I, I think they could easily, they can definitely beat anybody on their schedule. Um, but at the same time, being young and everything, I could see them dropping one somewhere. Uh, be that Oklahoma, be that Michigan State, or maybe at Wisconsin or something like that. They just come out and have a couple pick sixes and some bad rolling of the of the football here and there, you know, where some bad breaks and they drop one, you know, they get caught, they come out flat, something like that. But yeah, I, I 12 and 0 is uh, to, to me, it's like a coin flip right now, you know, 12 and 0, 11 and 1 for the regular season is what I'm predicting. So uh, I, I definitely think a strong victory at Norman is on the table. That's not an unrealistic outcome at this point. And, when it comes to the X factor of this team, which we talked about last week, and, and that's Urban Meyer and his ability to just get in guys' heads and have them so prepared, it's ridiculous. And I think we saw that yesterday. I mean, seriously. Like I said, out of all the teams that Ohio State has fielded in the history of the program, uh, a, a, a team – that is is replacing 16 starters for them to go out and do and I understand it is Bowling Green and they have a Swiss cheese defense but seriously you, you know not like they were the the as uh, Gordon Gee once uh, said the little sisters of the poor for for Pete's sake I mean this was a division 1 football team they were playing against and one of the better teams in the MAC so you do have to give Bowling Green a little bit of credit but for Ohio State to have performed the way they did yesterday just speaks to Urban Meyer his ability to get in guys heads and get them prepared week in and week out and Yes, he, he's he's lost a couple of games here and there. He had a couple of, you know, what he would probably deem as bad seasons down in Florida, although he never had a losing season, um, never has had a losing season at all in his entire coaching career. And you've seen what he has done with every single program that he's been to. Uh, look at Bowling Green. I mean, he put them into the top 20 the two years he was there. Look at Utah. He led them to an undefeated season in a Fiesta Bowl victory where they shredded uh, – uh, granted, a pit team that year that should not have been into in the uh, in the BCS uh, in a BCS bowl game. But anyways, I'm kind of rambling and getting off point. My point is is that Urban Meyer, he's the X factor, and and I think if anything, this team is definitely going to be ready to pull off a win. And I'm with you; they can definitely win this Oklahoma game. Now, it it, it does add a new wrinkle once again, though. Um, but I, I just I I had faith that Urban Meyer could take them down there and win before. I've got faith that he can still do it. Um, but yeah, the, there's always some weird intangible. There's always going to be a loss on your schedule. I mean, not always, but for the most part in college football, you're not going undefeated. Like, no team out there is going to win every single game every single year. Obviously, Ohio State proved that when they lost to Michigan State at home last year. They proved it two years ago uh, when they won the national championship that they can they can lose at home. I mean, do you realize that Urban Meyer, two out of his four losses have been at home last year and the year before? And yeah. he wins the national it's championship crazy. in one year, and then the next year, um, you know, they go 12-1 and one and, and spank uh, Notre Dame and Michigan in the last two games of the season. So um, where's the loss going to come from? You know, the, the one game that jumps out to me that, well, two games really, um, and Wisconsin on the road, night game, Camp Randall, the Ohio State and Wisconsin have always had epic battles um, whether it be in the horseshoe or up there in Camp Randall, tell you what, Wisconsin has been one of those teams that you kind of look back on, and you know the, the the record maybe in the last you know fifteen twenty years, I bet you it's pretty even when it comes to you know wins and and, and losses between the two squads. 
Um, so that's a game that, that makes me a little nervous. Um, and then quite honestly, man, I got to say it. I have to say it. The Michigan game, man. I mean, I know what they did to him last year, but I'm telling you, for some reason, I just, I, I can feel it, man. I can feel it that this game is going to come down to the Big East title and a shot at playing for the Big Ten championship. I think you very, very well could see both teams undefeated and this being another 06 replication. And I think you were the one who uh, brought that up in our last podcast. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't see it, but I did bring it up. But I, I brought it up in the under one of the scenarios where I would love to see this play out. I would love to see a repeat of 2006 where number one versus number two undefeated face off. And of course, the good guys come out on top just like they did in 2006. That's like the dream scenario, but I, I don't see it happening. I, I see Michigan losing a game somewhere along the way. But but yeah, it uh even then if they lose one Big Ten game and Ohio State's undefeated, I mean almost like last year though, yep, it yep. did kind of come down to that 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 game where they both had that one loss against Michigan State. And of course, both teams needed Michigan State to lose on that weekend, and they didn't for a shot to, to go on and play the Big Ten championship game. But I don't know, man. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Either way, I'm psyched up, baby. Yesterday, definitely, um, not that I wasn't excited for Ohio State football beforehand, but just you know, watching them get out there, watching the amount of young kids get out on the field and perform the way they did, I'm excited about this season. And uh, uh, I'm glad you're along for the ride, brother. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, man. No, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm jacked, and um, you know I'm just sitting here looking at Tulsa, thinking, what can we expect next week? Um, you know, like I said, I hadn't done any homework for it, so I'm looking last week. You know, Ohio State had 77. I should say this week. It's just Sunday as we're recording this. Yeah. But Ohio State had 77. Tulsa gave up 10, so the average of those two would be around 42, 43. It would be 43 and a half, actually. I'm going to go with 42 because that works out even evenly divisible by seven points. Okay. I'm going to go with 42 for Ohio State. Um, Ohio State, meanwhile, held the mighty Bowling Green offense to 10 points. Um, well, actually, held the offense to even less yeah, than that, actually, but held, held, exactly. held, the, held the team to 10. So, you know... I don't see any reason why they can't do that to Tulsa as well, since Bowling Green does have a pretty stout offense. So I'm going 42 to 10. What do you say? See, I after yesterday's thumping and and me playing it so conservatively on my prediction of 35 points, and they came out and scored more than double that. Now I'm thinking, oh man, they're going to score 100 points a game, and they're going to be ah, it's going to be nuts. But <laughs> I always want to try and hold it back a little bit, um, and. You know, what's Tulsa like? I mean, yeah, are, are, are they any better, worse uh, than Bowling Green? I would like to think that a Conference USA team is a little bit better than the MAC, but quite honestly, I think the MAC and Conference USA are about on the same level with each other, you know, as far as, uh, as, far as just the, the, uh, sure. know, the teams are concerned. And, so, and, and I hate to like beat a dead horse, but I mean, we are talking about a Bowling Green team that beat two Big Ten teams last year. So it doesn't necessarily, you can't just look at a conference and say, oh, well, a Big Ten team is going to be a MAC team and therefore, you know, write that off. Sure. Same, same way you can't necessarily just look at conference, the American conference versus MAC and say, well, overall, the American conference is better than the MAC. This was the defending MAC champion, you know? So I could see them not being any better than Bowling Green, frankly. Well, no, that's a, that's an excellent point. That is a very excellent point. Um, so whew, you've talked me into it. I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna get weird, man. I'm gonna go fifty <laughs> fifty six, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give Tulsa I'm gonna give Tulsa thirteen points again. So I'm going fifty six to thirteen. All right. Sounds good to me. Locking in the books. There you have it, folks. Another episode of the Buckeye Leafcast is in the books. I want to thank my main man with the plan, the intergalactic Buckeye fan, Mr. Chris Stefanik, for coming along for the ride. And uh, before we jump off of here, though, sir, 
Something you want to give a shout to the to the peeps out there that have downloaded this somewhere else they can find you? Yes, absolutely. So I also have a podcast called Choice Conversations. It's a personal development podcast. We work on health, uh, be that physical, emotional, spiritual kind of health. We work on being successful in business, being successful in relationships, and just uh, rocking out life, you know? We only get one shot at this, so let's do it, man. Make it a good it one. There you go. Choiceconversations.com. There you go, choiceconversations.com, or you can even Google Choice Conversations and should uh, be one of the one of the several links that litter the page. It's going to be all about Choice Conversations when you Google it. So check them out, the Intergalactic Buckeye fan. Hit them up and have a Choice Conversation with them on choiceconversations.com. Also check out Christie's Cleaning Services, LLC. It's not clean until it's Christie clean. Visit her Facebook page at Christie's Cleaning Services, LLC. Also, this edition of the Buckeye Leafcast brought to you by Columbus Wired, your premier sports for everything here in Central Ohio and beyond. Check us out at columbuswired.net. So there you have it, Mr. Stefanik. 42 to 10 is your prediction. 56 to 13 is mine for the mighty Ohio State Buckeyes taking on the Tulsa Golden Hurricane this coming Saturday in the Horseshoe, 3.30 kickoff Eastern Daylight Time. And on that note, sleeping like we always do, sir. OH! Ohio! Go Bucks! Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.